we merge our money together under a single entity to invest in these as part of our investment club. So each person can invest with five grand ahead instead of 50 grand, 100 grand ahead. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexter. I'm excited to have Brian Davis. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Todd. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I got Brian here from Lima, Peru, calling in from Lima, Peru. Although I think people that are watching the video know you're probably not from Lima, Peru directly, but uh, you that's where you're living. And you've been living kind of a cool life, like uh, at least in my opinion. Tell, tell the audience what you've been kind of doing, uh, what we talked about before the show. Yeah. So my family and I just moved to Lima a couple months ago. I have a three-year-old daughter uh, and, a, and a wife, and my wife is a school counselor, but she works at international schools around the world. So before Lima, we spent four years in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil. Before that, we spent four years in Abu Dhabi, the capital of the UAE, and it's been fun. It's been an adventure. We've had a chance to see a lot of the world, and you know, I was, I was telling Todd before the show that we're actually going to Cusco and Machu Picchu this coming weekend. So yeah, it's fun. Yeah, that's really cool. Get to travel a bit, although you're you're kind of in a different location, you know. But you get to be in those locations and explore the areas while you know your wife is working and making making a living. So that's really cool. And you've been doing this now for what is it six years? Is that what you just said? Uh, over eight years. Eight years. So okay. Wow. So that's that's really cool. Uh, so Brian is a real estate investor, personal finance writer, founder of Spark Rental with over two decades of real estate and finance uh, or in the real estate and finance industries. Uh, he owns 1,500 units, uh, owns shares of 1,500 units. Uh, probably important to, to note that. they uh, Brian uh, will we'll dive in, but you know, passive uh, investor, which works out pretty well. Um, also serves as a real estate and personal finance expert for Inman, Bigger Pockets, RE Tipster, and uh, and more. So, with that, Brian, you want to give our listeners a bit more about your background, and then we're going to kind of just dive into so this journey of yours and and how you got here. Yeah, so I I started right out of college working for a hard money lender. Totally fell into that job by accident. Mm. Uh, this is back in the early and mid aughts. Everybody's making money hand over fist in real estate. I'm sitting there. This is like, oh, pre Great Recession. Yeah, pre, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre yeah. big crash. So okay. uh, you know, I'm watching all these guys make all this money, and I'm, I think I can do this too. Like you know, I'm, I'm smarter <laughs> than these guys. Like you know, I can figure this out. So I went and I, you know, spent a ton of money just scooping up rental properties left and right. And when the the crash of 08 hit. I just got totally annihilated and <laughs> had to, you know, go reevaluate all of my my bad investments that I had made, and I had to go get a new day job because no one was borrowing hard money loans anymore, right? Um, so I totally shifted my career, went and worked for an online company selling services to mom and pop landlords, uh, which taught me all kinds of things from online marketing to how to how to manage and run an online business. Uh, I got to work virtually, you know, back starting in 2008, which is way before, before it was cool. Right. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, and then in 2016, uh, a former colleague and I split off, started our own business servicing you know, mom and pop real estate investors, landlords, passive investors. So today uh, we have a bunch of tools for both active and passive investors. We run a real estate investment club to help people just invest passively in big real estate projects, You know, write a small check and be a partial owner instead of having to go out and become a landlord. If that's not your speed, we also serve landlords as well. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the the sixty second highlights reel. That's cool. Smarter than these guys, I think that's like the saying that I think I'm thinking a lot of people do that. Like I'm smarter than these guys. Oh, I I can do it better than these guys, and that's probably the saying that gets more people into trouble than anything else. Because when you think you're smarter than the people that are successful, that's when you know you're going to make mistakes. Anytime you use the the words, I am smarter than these guys, yeah. you are probably not, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, you're, you are- it's, it's Intellectually, like your IQ might be higher. Yeah, you, you have an higher, higher IQ, maybe, but do you re- are you really smarter than them in the whole sense of that term? Uh, and, you, and you come to the table with a bit of- kind of arrogance and uh, thinking you know better than people who have been in the industry that are, you know, either doing well or maybe getting smoked, but that that are are doing well and you're going, hey, I'm smarter than these guys. I can go ahead and do it. And you learned, right? You learned uh, that maybe you weren't quite as smart as you thought. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I've, I've been humbled many, many times over. Uh <laughs> Well, you know, what mistake did you make during that time? Was it kind of the classic, uh, you just bought things for too much and the market melted down and. Yeah, that definitely happened. I mean, I, I didn't even know how to accurately forecast rental cash flow at that point. I mean, hmm. I, you know, I was still wondering around thinking that it's the, the rent minus the mortgage payment, which in retrospect is just so stupid, but, uh, but that is, that's where I was. And I was too arrogant and and foolish to go out and get a mentor, get a coach, get senior partners or, you know, somebody in my life who had walked that path before me successfully and to help me avoid those, those big pitfalls in the middle of the road. So, you know, I had to learn all those lessons the hard way that, oh yeah, you need to budget for things like repairs and maintenance and vacancy rate and all that stuff. Um, So uh, yeah, so many avoidable mistakes, so many unforced errors that I just wish that I'd had the humility to go out and and learn those lessons the easy way by finding someone who'd already made those mistakes. Uh, so now I am the person who's <laughs> who's teaching other people how to avoid those mistakes because yeah. I made those those uh, mistakes myself uh, and learned those lessons the hard way. So you crashed and burned. How did you? You said you went and got a, a, a different job. Is that uh, like how did you work your way back out of that hole? Yeah. So I went. And that job, by the way, I only got that job because I did have experience in real estate investing because I was a landlord. So, you know, for all of those expensive mistakes that I made, for all the money that I lost, you know, there is often a silver lining to those those bad situations, especially if you're willing to go out there and, and look for it. Um, you know, I like to say that all that money that I lost on those investments, uh, it wasn't losses. It was tuition because I stayed in real estate investing. You know, once 
you know, a lot of people they have those losses and then they just, they run for the hills and they never touch real estate again. And in right. that case, they really are losses, right? Uh, but if you learn from those mistakes, if you keep investing and, and avoid those mistakes next time, uh, invest profitably next time, then it's, it's tuition, right? It's the cost of education. Uh, but yeah, no, so I went and got a job working for a company that at the time was a, a very recent startup. Uh, I actually started working for them part-time and then they uh, grew very quickly very quickly pushed me to, to full-time. And then, you know, within a year, I was basically managing this company because the owner was absentee. I mean, he was, uh, he, <laughs> I don't know if I can say this or not, but he he had bipolar disorder. So he uh, it would go through these manic episodes where he would show up and he would demand to be on multi-hour meetings with us every day. And, you know, he would be throwing thousands of ideas at us and, and all of them were super high priority. Right. And then he would go disappear for like six months at a time and we wouldn't hear from him at all. So it was, it was a very odd experience, hmm. uh, <laughs> but one that I learned a lot from, because I, I had to learn how to manage this business yep. in the absence of the owner. Right. Yeah. So there was a, a woman who had helped uh, get that that business started as well. And the two of us basically had to figure it out, you know, hire people on, train people, um, grew the business up. Uh, and then eventually she and I went off and, and did our own thing, started Spark Rental. So it was it was an education in itself. When you left that company, you know, you started buying and and having your own property. You didn't just go passive investing right away, right? So take me through that next little process there. You started buying rental properties and then eventually you said, hey, I'm going to go the passive route. So let's kind of work into that a little bit. Yeah. So I I still had all my properties from before the 08 crash. Um, a lot of those were either uh, had negative cash flow or just barely positive cash flow. Hmm. Um, but, you know, working an unrelated job, you know, I was able to afford to kind of keep those afloat, uh, bought a few more properties post crash, which performed better. Um, and I moved to Abu Dhabi in 2015 and I, I hired a property manager, but even then, you know, I had to stay on top of them. I mean, these were lower end properties and, Lower end properties come with a lot of hidden risks and hidden costs that are not yeah. always obvious on paper. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the reasons why the the cap rates look so much uh, more attractive. On paper, they always look so good, don't they? They look great, but then you have things like high <laughs> crime rates and yeah. you know people going in and breaking apart your air conditioning yeah. condensers to steal yeah. the the copper tubing out and high turnover and rates. He, he, by the way, that does happen. Like he's not lying there. That that people actually do that. Um, there's a there's a couple towns that I've been in, Brian, where they actually have these big, massive chains all around the AC units to keep people from ripping them off, from taking them with them. Um, and and that even doesn't completely stop people. I had to build these huge cages over top of my air conditioning oh, conditions because, because people kept ripping them apart and, and stealing the copper. So yeah, I had to put these huge steel cages over them. And then even then, like you said, people still sometimes found a way to, to get through there. And they would go in there with a chainsaw or whatever. I mean, it was nuts. Uh, but yeah, it's a million things like that that you don't think about before you invest. Yeah. And one of the those hidden problems or hidden risks with lower end properties is that good property managers don't touch them. They they won't accept work with those those properties because it's 
less money for them, right? Because they get a, a percentage of the rent, uh, or they get and they get paid a you know a, a rent payment for for filling vacant units. So it's less money for them, but it's way more work, you know, chasing down these delinquent tenants who never saw a bill they wanted to pay on time in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, all that stuff. It, it, so they don't they don't work with them. So that leaves you with the the dregs of the property management industry in your local town or city. So you know, I, I didn't have a choice. I was I the only options available to me were these kind of lower end property managers who weren't very good or, or you know, they would, they would nickel and dime me with, right. with hidden fees. And, um, right. you know, it was just, it was way more trouble than I wanted to mess around with living on the other side of the world in Abu Dhabi. So eventually I, I sold off those properties, but I still believed in real estate as a vehicle to reach financial independence. I still love real estate. So I started looking into ways of investing passively. Uh, I have since tested out most of the major real estate crowdfunding platforms, uh, which is a boon because in our in our business in Spark, we I get to write about them and write reviews and comparison charts and all that stuff um, from firsthand experience, unlike most of the people who are writing that kind of stuff yeah. online. Yeah. Um, but what really changed things for me was when I discovered real estate syndications. And that's a that's a term that a lot of people are either intimidated by, or they don't know what it means, or maybe right. they think so they know what fuzzy. it means, but they don't really understand it. Yeah. Uh, and these are basically group real estate investments where a professional investor finds a big commercial property, often a multifamily property, like an apartment complex uh, as the, like the classic example. Uh, and they'll go out and they'll get a loan for 50 to 75% of the, the purchase price of that. But that still leaves them with typically millions of dollars mm-hmm. shortfall, right? So they'll come up with some of that on their own as a down payment or you know their skin in the game, but then they'll raise the rest of that money from passive investors like you and me who just want to write a check and to become a, a fractional owner in that that property. Uh, and as a fractional owner, we're entitled to distributions, you know, the cash flow from the property. We're entitled to a, a percentage of the profits when it sells. Uh, we get all the tax benefits. Uh, in particular, accelerated depreciation because they do a, right. a cost segregation study when they buy these. So you get a lot of depreciation right up front, which mm-hmm. is great. Uh, so you get all of the benefits of real estate investing without any of the headaches of being a landlord. And that to me, that is music to my ears. So right. uh, in a nutshell, that's that's what we're doing. <clears throat> yeah. And you can, so did, did you sell everything then in the States? Yep. Got rid of all my properties. So let's go. Get rid of these. Yep, got and, rid of them, and, and, and now we're going to take these profits, and we're going to passively invest. And you were able to prop? Did you ten thirty one into deals? Because that's really tough, obviously, with syndication. Did you ten thirty one, or did you just sell them, and then take whatever write offs you could get? And uh, just sold them. Uh, did not do any ten thirty ones. Ten thirty ones. That's tricky with syndications. Yeah, you can do very- them. Um, but it's typically easier if you're an accredited investor or if you have a lot of money that you can invest. Yep. Uh, you know, if you're investing half a million bucks, a million bucks in a deal, you can usually negotiate with the sponsor to structure the deal uh, for you personally to let you uh, 1031 it. Uh, but otherwise, it's more, it's more tra- uh, trouble than it's worth for the sponsor. Uh, yeah, and then there are some deals that do that are structured from the very start designed for 1031 exchanges, but yep. they're few and far between. Yeah. So. Yeah, we've taken some 1031 money. It's a big headache and it's it's just not worth taking if it's not a substantial amount of money. So if you're talking one, two, three hundred thousand dollars, it's like, you know what, just take the tax hit um and, and then 
like you said, though, you get to share in the bonus depreciation and the cost segregation. And so, you know, you investing 100K into that deal, you're going to get a, a tax write-off. Well, now it's a little bit less because bonus depreciation is, is getting smaller. But but just a year well, a year ago, you were getting a tax write-off of you know, $60,000, $80,000, sometimes even more. Um, and that helps offset your your gains. Yeah, and you know that's what they refer to as a as a lazy ten thirty one exchange <laughs> where you just keep laddering your deals, right? Yeah. Where you know as as former real estate deals sell and and pay off, you just reinvest that into yeah. the next deal, and you know you get that um, that depreciation up front, um, so you never end up really paying taxes on it until you know you sell out everything and and you know sail off into the sunset or whatever, but. Um, yeah, we kind of fell into so we we run an investment club at, at Yeah, t- tell me about that. I want I want to know a little bit more about the the investment club and what you guys do there. Yeah, we we kind of fell into this by accident. It was not part of the design of our business. And as a side note, that is something that I have definitely learned over the years as an entrepreneur is that what you think your business is and what the market tells you your business is are often two different things. <laughs> so you have to you have to kind of be flexible and <laughs> and be be willing to to change your, what you think your business is, because sometimes that's not really what the rest of the world wants from your business. Yeah. So in our case, when we started the Spark Rental, we, we had this vision that we were going to run a software company for mom and pop landlords. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had just problem after problem with that. And today we do offer software for mom and pop landlords. But at the time, you know, our developer ran off with all of our seed money and we just had, we had issue after issue. So we went the route of education as a way to get the business off the ground and, and earn some revenue while we were trying to build out our software. So we were selling courses on real estate investing and how to reach financial independence through real estate investing. And our course students and our audience members kept asking us like, Hey, can we just invest alongside you guys in, in a project that you're investing in? And we kept saying no, right? Because we didn't, we didn't have anything like that going on. Right. And then finally we, my partner and I looked at each other and we were like, well, maybe we should think about this because everyone keeps asking for it. We keep having to turn people down. Maybe we should do this. But I was living across the world, you know, so I wasn't investing in local projects. She lives outside of Philadelphia, didn't want to invest in Philadelphia. So we partnered with a, a boots on the ground investor up in Michigan on a couple single family investment property deals that we opened up to some of our, our course students. And they made money. We earned returns on them. And it was a good learning experience for the people who participated, but it was way too much work. And we, so we figured out like, this is why no one's actually doing this because it's, it's way too much work and, and there's really, there's no money in it. So we kind of went back to the drawing board and we, there was good feedback from the people about that. Um, but it was, it was too much work. So it was around that time that I had discovered real estate syndications. So I, I went to my partner and I said, Hey, what if we invested passively in this someone else's like big, you know, multifamily project, you know, as part of our investment club that we've been, you know, kind of messing around with and experimenting with. And she said, well, I don't really know anything about real estate syndications, but sure, let's try it. So we did, we did a pilot deal. Uh, we had good feedback from, from our, our members and the rest is history. We decided to operate an actual investment club that every month we propose a new deal in the club. Members can pool their money together to invest in those deals. 
Uh, one of the big challenges with real estate syndications is the high minimum investment, 50 grand, 100 grand, yep. uh, which for a normal person, a normal working person, that's a lot of money, right? And often more money than they have to invest. And even if you have that much money, you still probably don't want to park it all in one project, right? You yeah, want to spread it out. Right. So what we do is we merge our money together under a single entity to invest in these as part of our investment club. So each person can invest with five grand ahead instead of 50 grand, a hundred grand ahead. So makes it easier to just spread your money among a lot more deals, uh, makes it more accessible to everyday people. We only propose deals that allow non-accredited investors. That's really important to us to keep it inclusive, uh, make it available to everybody. So uh, yeah, we, it's- You're creating a fund in order to invest then in those deals. No, uh, no, because no. then we would be selling securities, which we are definitely not doing and cannot be doing. Um, so how do you so get with the smaller minimum then? So we don't collect any cut of this ourselves. We just create a new LLC for each deal that we invest in. All of the our members in our investment club who want to participate in that deal just get listed as, as owners of that LLC. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, my partner and I don't, get any of the money that's raised. Uh, Cause if we did, then we would be selling securities, right? Uh, so our only income from these is a flat membership fee that we charge to be a member in our investment club. So each deal, if you're investing in one, two, three main street, you're creating a new LLC for that. Um, and then everybody's putting their money into that LLC, that LLC is then investing, you know, 200, 500, whatever it is, thousand uh, Correct. into that specific property. Correct. Okay. So got it. Yeah. So, and you know, it comes with its own challenges, of course, especially at tax time, right? Because <laughs> mm -hmm. then we have to, you know, we have to send out uh, K ones to all of the members in that deal. And, yep. uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's a great way to invest small amounts passively, get all those benefits of real estate uh, without the 2 a.m. phone calls from tenants saying that they clogged your toilet or, you know, whatever. Yeah. My curiosity is, is, um, you know, you got to, you're spending money to, to create the LLC. You're spending money, uh, on, at tax time to create the, the statements for everybody. Are you charging a continuous fee to be able to cover that overhead? Or is that what that original, um, membership fee co covers? So that is, those are just expenses of the LLC. They're shared proportionately by the the members who are participating in that LLC. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's not like we're uh, getting, we're not like charging a fee over top of that. It's just, uh, those are expenses of the expenses. LLC. We front those just to open the bank account and, and get the LLC off the ground. Um, but then, you know, when we start getting distributions from that, um, that deal, uh, you know, the first 125 bucks, for example, to, to create an LLC, uh, that we came out of pocket for, you know, we get reimbursed for that. And that's just, you know, it's a, it's a cost that's swallowed by the LLC. So mm -hmm. uh, we are, we, we invest in these ourselves. So obviously we're, we're paying proportionally our share of those expenses ourselves. Uh, but it's just shared among the people participating in that deal. What's the reason that you don't get your securities license offer this and make a good profit on it. Is there a reason for that? Or is it, I guess, what's, what's the reason? Um, it's a, well, you know, we've thought about it. Uh, although I haven't thought about it as hard as I probably should, there's a lot more money in it. If, if you do 
uh, become a co-sponsor on some of these deals. Um, but that isn't really our mission. I mean, there are plenty of sponsors out there doing real estate syndication deals. There's no one out there who's doing exactly what we're doing. Um, there's one other club who's doing something you know, in sort of the same vein, but they are more targeting accredited investors, uh, much higher minimums on their deals. So yeah, I mean, it's a niche that we think is very badly needed. We think there are a lot of middle-class people out there who would love to invest in real estate and yeah. you know get the cash flow, get the appreciation, get the tax benefits, yeah. uh, but who don't want to become landlords uh, and don't want to have to learn all those skills that are required to actively invest in real estate, of which there are a lot, right? I mean, finding good deals, financing those deals, managing contractors, uh, you know, dealing with local housing inspections. I mean, you know, the... the God, I, the first time that I went to renovate a property, I had uh, I didn't know that the inspectors expected you to bribe them <laughs> to, to pass your property. <laughs> you know, things like that that the average person don't want to deal with that stuff, right? Yeah. I don't want to deal with that stuff. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, we we think there's a, a big demand for this. Um, so, and whereas there there are plenty of sponsors out there doing deals, there's no one running an investment club quite like ours. So that's yeah, the, I mean it's a it's a huge uh, it's a huge field to serve, right? I think there's a lot of people, like you said, that really do want to passively invest in real estate. They don't know how to because the only way that they see is that they have to have you know twenty five or fifty, which is probably the most typical fifty thousand dollars in order to invest in a, a syndication passively. And they're going, I don't want to do that. Or they have to be accredited or, you know, it's like, so it's hard to the average person, the typical person to get involved in these deals. Another thing I think would be very good to solve for, very interesting to solve for is being able to have uh, their money more liquid, like you see in the stock market. Now that's a, a whole different animal, uh, but I, I do see there's a lot of need in the market to create uh, a better product, more liquid product for the typical person um, that, you know, they're stuck with stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, and that's not what they want. They see that, look, that's not the real path to wealth. There's a better way, but I just can't get my hands into it because I don't have $50,000 sitting around. Yeah. And, you know, the other challenge, especially for non-accredited investors, is finding sponsors who will work with them. Because you know, by the, the SEC regulations, sponsors are not allowed to market 506B deals that allow non-accredited investors. They're not allowed to market them to the public. Yep. So if yep. you are a non-accredited investor looking to get into this, how do you even find uh, you sponsors find to invest with? And of course, that's that's part of what we do in, in our club is you know we, we network with those people so that you don't have to, right? Uh, but that's a big challenge. Those people can't advertise to you. They can't market to the general public. So how do you find them? Um, and you know, to your point about liquidity, you know, there are always publicly traded REITs. Problem with REITs is that they don't actually offer much diversification benefit from no. the stock market. Um, there was a, a Morningstar study over the last couple of decades that showed the correlation between U.S. REITs and uh, the S&P 500 and found it was a correlation of 0 0.59, uh, which is in line with other just subsectors of the of the stock market. Yep. So yep. you're not actually getting that diversification that you want. And I'll give you a really 
quick and easy example of that. Uh, last year in 2022, the S&P 500 dropped, it, it had a, a total return of negative 18.1%. Average US publicly traded REITs, average return of negative 25.1%. Meanwhile, home prices went up like 10 and a half percent. So, you know, if you if you are looking for diversification from your stocks in your, your real estate investments, you're not going to find them in REITs. No, REIT to re to... has the same emotion, right? It's, it's just this emotional roller coaster that the stock market has. People wake up one day and they got a bad cold and they decide they're going to sell all their stocks. They're going to sell their REITs. Like, that's just how it goes. Right. Yeah. And that's that volatility is is the the downside. It's the other side of the coin of liquidity, right? Yeah. When people yeah. can buy and sell on a dime, then they do, right? And then that creates volatility. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's the dark side of the coin. Well, is, is right. That. And and maybe that's the point right there that you just made is like liquidity. It sounds attractive. It does sound good. But do we really want it in the industry? Or is the lack of liquidity actually the reason for the the staying power of real estate, the reason why we don't see these big ebbs and flows in real estate typically is that because of the lack of liquidity, I would probably say that has a big portion of it. You know, that's a, that's a big portion. You can't just get out of a property like that. Right. And, and that barrier to entry is part of what keeps the returns high. Right. Yeah. Um, now, if you do want liquidity, there are a couple crowdfunding, real estate crowdfunding investments that offer some liquidity. So Concrete is a pretty good one. Uh, they they pull together a bunch of hard money loans and you're investing in that that fund of, of hard money loans. And they pay, I think it's, I don't know, six and a half, six point two five percent 6.25% currently. So it's, it's a much lower return than what you're getting from like a real estate syndication uh, or from the stock market, at least at, on average. Uh, but you do have that liquidity and they pay weekly dividends. Ground floor uh, is another one that offers a variety of short-term real estate secured investments. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, there are some options out there for liquidity or shorter term real estate investments, but you're not going to get the same returns on them as from a real estate syndication. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Hey, Brian, you wrote an article recently on bigger pockets. Um, maybe it was like three, four weeks ago. And I saw, I saw the article uh, it's uh, and I, I actually pulled it up so I could say the the title the right way, but it's <laughs> today's real estate risks. What are investors ignoring? Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. What are the risks, and what are investors ignoring in today's market? Yeah, so the first one that comes to mind is skyrocketing insurance premiums. Um, yeah, <laughs> this that's something that any sponsors who aren't aware of that that risk right now or aren't talking about it, aren't underwriting for it, uh, be very wary about <laughs> investing with those sponsors. Mm -hmm. uh, we There's a deal that we invested in a little while ago uh, that's in, in some trouble right now, uh, partially because their insurance rates have gone, it's a portfolio of a couple of properties, and their insurance rates between those two properties have gone up 200 to 300% over the yeah. last two years. That's crazy. that's a big problem. I mean, that's no one's problem. underwriting for a a, a three hundred percent rise in your insurance costs, right? Um, but that's what we're seeing, and including in areas that historically have not seen super high 
uh, insurance premiums, you know, where there isn't yeah. necessarily the same natural disaster risk. Um, and I, but I think that's, I think that's going to be the biggest problem over the next year or, or more is these areas where you don't see, or you don't feel like there's much insurance risk is probably the ones that have the most insurance risk. Cause these companies, these insurance companies are nationwide for the most part. And so if they get total disasters that happen in Florida, they have to make up for it. Now they are raising premiums in Florida, probably more than, you know, or those are really high premiums, but eventually they go, we can't keep raising premiums. Or sometimes exactly. these states have actually caps. A lot of these states have caps, which most people don't know. Like California, they can't raise rates. So what do they have to do? Well, California keeps on having fires and events. And so they can't raise rates in California. So what do they do? They raise rates in Minnesota. They raise rates exactly. in North Dakota. They raise, And you're like, well, wait a second. We didn't, nothing happened here. And uh, Sorry, but it happened in California. So you have to pay for it in Minnesota. Yeah, and that's how insurance works, right? Is that you know, your the people who, who disaster never strikes for, they're subsidizing the people who disaster does strike for. Yep. Uh, and in this case, yeah, like you said, you're going to be paying for someone else's risk. Uh, so you know, as a, that's one that's one risk in the that I see right now in the the real estate investing space. Watch out for that. You know, look for sponsors who are underwriting with very very high insurance rate hikes in their projections. Uh, because if they're not, you know, they might get blindsided by that. Yeah. Uh, another risk that people are talking about is, or that aren't people aren't really talking about enough, and I think they're starting to, is what happens if interest rates don't just drop back down, you know, very soon, you know, to the levels that yeah. everyone has, is used to. Everybody's um, hoping for it. Yeah, you know, everyone kind of assumed that we were going to have this kind of quick shallow recession and that you know and that would cause the fed to drop interest rates back down and then everything would be hunky dory uh, but that recession hasn't actually happened you know we still have unemployment at like three and a half percent so uh, you know the the fed they're saying we may raise interest rates several times in 2024 um and and that's before you ever start talking about any cuts i mean we're talking about higher rates so interest rates could be high for years to come yeah. And no one wants to hear that. No one, you know, that has not been the prevailing narrative or assumption. Um, but I mean, we could have high interest rates in 2025, 2026. Uh, there's, there's nowhere is it written that we're going to see interest rates drop next year or the year after necessarily. So that's going to have upward pressure on cap rates, right? Uh, which makes it a better time to buy, but a, a, a terrible time to sell. Yeah. Uh, and as more and more of, these loans start hitting their balloon or their expiration, you're going to have sponsors who are forced to either sell at a, a high exit cap rate for a much lower profit than they expected, or maybe even for a loss, uh, or refinance at a much higher interest rate than what they were expecting and what they had underwritten. Either way, you're looking at, at bad returns on some of those deals from last year, two years ago, three years ago, potentially even this year, right? Yeah. Uh, so the longer interest rates stay high, the more those risks get exacerbated. Um, yeah, I think that's a that's a huge concern for a lot of people. And think back to you know when rates went down for the first kind of time. So Great Recession, right? Rates rates started to go down. They were they were where they were they were where they are today. 
And then they went down and they got into the the fives. And I remember people saying, well, they're going to go back up. And they then went down to the fours. And people said, well, they're going to go back up. There's nowhere else they can go. And then they went down to the threes. Of course, they're going to go back up. There's nowhere they can go. And they stayed there for a long time. I mean, a lot of years they were in the threes and fours. Um, and they couldn't go down anymore and they were eventually going to go back up. Well, eventually that did happen. Right. But that was years and years later. And I could see the same exact thing happen where people are like, they have to go down. They can't go up and they just stay where they're at or maybe slightly go up even. Um, so yeah, I think you need to be prepared. If you're a prudent investor, you need to be prepared that interest rates are going to be at or potentially higher than what they are today. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we really love to see when we're looking at deals in our investment club is, are they assuming lower interest debt from a little while ago for one thing, uh, but also how long is, is the term on these debts? Um, because if you're facing a, a loan expiration in just a, a year or two uh, or even three years, we might still be in a high interest environment then. I mean, interest yeah. rates might still be high cap rates could, would potentially be much higher then. Uh, so, you know, we, earlier today, we were on a, a group uh, deal discussion call in our club, looking at a deal where uh, the sponsor is assuming debt at, I think it was like 5.15% interest. And that loan is good for the next nine years. So that's, that's great protection against sustained yeah. high interest rates, right? Uh, that's the kind of thing that we love to see when we're looking at deals to help protect against some of that that interest rate risk moving forward. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, other other risks out there, labor costs are high and getting higher. Um, and that means that, you know, rents rents might plateau even as your costs in operating, you know, an apartment complex or self-storage facility or whatever, uh, even as your your costs keep going up. So that is that is a risk. Um, you know, we may not have seen the end of the bank risk either. You know, there, you know, everyone freaked out back in March when uh, Silicon Valley Bank and uh, I think one other which signature. I can't the name of. Mm, yeah. yeah, you know, a couple of those regional banks yep. failed, um, and everyone freaked out for like one week, and then everyone forgot about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, if if we do keep seeing you know, sustained high interest, you know, that's going to put pressure on a lot of these borrowers who yeah. maybe can't, can't keep paying their adjustable rate mortgages with the high interest, they default and then the bank's in trouble. Right. Yep. And if, if, if one bank fails, uh, that can have a, a, a domino effect causing other banks to fail. And then no banks want to lend any money in the industry at all. So you end up with a, you know, a credit lockup where it's really hard to get financing and that will drive up cap rates even more, right? And make it even harder to sell your your existing deals for a profit. Um, so yeah, it just that those spillover effects from bank failures are are just another risk to keep an eye out for in the space. Um, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. You know, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. But that's just something on the horizon to just to be aware of, uh, and especially as interest rates stay high, potentially. For, for years into the future. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, the reality right now is that expenses are going up way faster than income. I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of cities out there right now. You talk about a lot of the cities in the South, Southwest, Southeast, 
uh, their rents are declining. Their rents are declining. I mean, that Phoenix, Arizona, four or five percent. You know, Austin, Texas. You, you name it. We can keep going on the list, right? Their rents are actually going down while their expenses are going up. I mean, my ta- property taxes and some of my properties have gone up forty percent. Forty percent property taxes. You already talked about insurance labor costs. I mean, the good thing with the labor is that people are getting paid more. Their wages are going up, yet rent is staying pretty stagnant or even declining. That's a good thing when we talk about affordability. It's a bad thing when we talk about, hey, we got to start making more money on our property, right? right? But overall, I think it's a good thing for the market sustainability. It's a bad thing for those who are caught with their pants down um, on these properties and they're going, well, oh, what can we do? We got these high interest rates, all that kind of stuff. One thing I've realized and kind of learned throughout the years, and I'm sure Brian, you can say, yeah, absolutely, is that one year is a massive difference. And we can't say what's going to happen uh, tomorrow, yet a year from now, what you and I having this same conversation a year from now, we would be talking about entirely different things. I hope we do have this conversation a year from now <laughs> and we can talk about how wrong we were a year ago. hundred yeah, <laughs> percent. Right? Yeah. That's the one thing I tell investors too on the, the, our, our performance that we send out. We try to be accurate. We try to be you know just honest with what's going on. But one thing I always say is one thing I can promise you and guarantee you is my performance will be wrong. I'm hoping I'm wrong on the right side of things, but right. it will be wrong and because I can't and nobody can predict that future. Yeah. And so honestly, I, I gave up, you know, we talked earlier in this conversation about, you know, arrogance and, you know, trying to be cleverer than, than the next person. And, you know, when I was younger, I tried to pick stocks. I tried to time the market. You know, mm. I tried to be cute and clever with, with my investments. And every time that I tried to get clever, you know, the universe came and just bopped me on the head with a hammer. I mean, it, <laughs> so nowadays I just practice dollar cost averaging because I, I know I can't predict the market, right? I can't predict what the Fed is going to do. I can't predict what the stock market's going to do. I can't predict where cap rates are going to go. Yeah. So I just practice dollar cost averaging across the board. And in my yeah. stock investments, that means every week I have money that just goes into a robo advisor fund that then it spreads that money among different index funds. Uh, and, you know, so every week there's just the same amount of money going into the same funds. Uh, on my real estate side, it's every month I invest in a new real estate syndication uh, in our in our investment club. Uh, I also have some automated uh, investments in real estate crowdfunding platforms. Uh, but, you know, I don't try to get clever with it. I don't try to get cute. I just keep putting money in the market in as many different places as I can, as many different buckets. Um, you know, we aim for diversity in our club, you know, diverse markets across the country, diverse you know, sponsors, diverse yeah. property types from industrial, retail, self-storage, multifamily, hotels. Um, you know, in my stock portfolio, you know, it's it's U.S. stocks, you know, small cap, mid cap, large cap over, you know, overseas uh, stocks. And that's you know, developed countries. It's also emerging markets. You know, it's just spreading the money among as many places as you can, knowing that some are going to perform better than others and that's okay. You know, it evens out over time. It just becomes an average of numbers on a page, which is a much less stressful way of investing than parking a whole bunch of money into, you know, one one type of investment or you like one property, you know, one stock. Um, yes. That's a yeah. recipe for laying awake at night and gnawing your your fingernails down to the quick. Yeah, I, I get investors that will want to invest a big chunk or pretty much all of their liquid capital and it's like, no, you can't because what happens if that deal goes wrong? 
then you're screwed, right? So let's put that money. You've got a half a million dollars or a million dollars to place. Don't put it in one deal. Let's put it in 10 deals. Exactly. Right? Let, let's spread that out because then if that one deal does go bad and we lose everything, you lost, you know, let's call it 50 grand, which sucks. But in the other deals, you're going to make, you know, 50 grand a piece. And so, okay, yeah, you lost on one, but you won on nine of them. Like you're okay. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, every month I put five or 10 grand in a different real estate deal. And, you know, I have no doubt that some of these are are not going to perform very well. Right. Yeah. Uh, and some of them are going to overperform and most yeah. will just be in the middle of that bell curve and, yeah. and that's okay. But at the end of the year, I can just go back and average out all those returns. I don't have to lay awake at night worrying about it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right, Brian, we got to wrap up. I got a couple last questions I want to ask you. Um, favorite book. Uh, you know, if we're talking novels, uh, one that, that comes to mind for me is a gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolles. Um, great book. Uh, highly recommend it. As far as business books or, or you know, personal development books, I really like Atomic Habits by James Clear, uh, which you know is you probably hear that one a lot. Uh, I also really like Personal Success Made Simple by Brian Tracy, who has been in the industry long enough that he can he kind of incorporates some of like the weirder woo woo stuff in a more mainstream way. Um, and just takes a holistic approach to it from mindset to like the hands-on, like practical, this, you know, do these steps. Um, but some of it is mindset. So anyway, I get a couple options there for favorite books. Love it. Love it. All right. Last question before I wrap, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? So first is building diverse ongoing passive income streams. Um, mm. You need, you know, <laughs> kind of like we were just talking about, you need many, many different streams of passive income. And ultimately, passive income is what is going to get you to financial independence, right? You know, being able to cover your living expenses with your passive income from investments. So diverse, ongoing passive income streams, building as many as you can. Uh, number two, I would say reduce spending on your big structural expenses. So for example, I, my wife and I haven't paid for housing in eight and a half years, um, her her employer provides us with free furnished housing, uh, which is awesome. But there are a million other ways you can house hack, you know, and score free housing in that way. Uh, and when I bought my first home, I brought in a housemate, and her rent covered three quarters of my mortgage payment. Uh, it's not perfect house hacking; it's not covering the entire thing, but there are a lot of ways you can do that. Yeah. So find ways of having someone else pay for your housing because that one maneuver will free up a huge chunk of your income you can then invest to build wealth. Uh, same thing with, with cars. Don't go out and spend a bunch of money on a car. I mean, so my wife and I actually don't have a car these days. I, wow. I bike to work or take a scooter. Um, and we shared one car when we were living in Abu Dhabi. We did not have a car when we were in Brasilia. We, we walked and biked everywhere. Uh, so if you can find a way to either share one car in your family or get rid of all your cars entirely, that will also put you way ahead in the game as far as being able to invest more of your money. Uh, mm -hmm. And then number three is just getting really intentional on lifestyle design, you know, exactly how you want to live your life. So we live overseas. We get to take advantage of geo arbitrage. I earn my money in us dollars, but we live in Peru and we spend our money in soles. Um, we actually aim to live entirely on my wife's salary and benefits and, save and invest all of my income. Um, but 
you know, that didn't happen overnight. You know, we had to get really intentional about our lifestyle choices about, for example, not having a car, right? I mean, that was, that's part of that design. Um, but, you know, we get to live in an apartment with an 180 degree view of the ocean. I mean, it's literally overlooking the Pacific ocean. So, you know, figure out what's important to you and, you know, spend money on that and then figure out all the things that are not important to you and don't spend money on any of that. Oh, yeah, so 100%. get intentional about it. Find expenses that you can cut that aren't actually going to hurt your quality of life. Choose where you live very intentionally. Uh, and I'll stop preaching at that point. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that. It, I feel like, man, it's, it's, a lot of people I hear like the, a lot of people want, and it's okay, I guess. If you want more and more and more, that's okay. You just have to realize what that what kind of expense that comes with, right? Um, but it's like, oh, you're you're not living your life. It's like, really? Am I not? Like, it just I I can enjoy other things that don't cost a pile of money to enjoy, you know. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, lifestyle creep, right? You know, every time yeah. you get a raise, what do you do? You go out and find ways to spend it and and to raise those those structural expenses. You know, whether it's moving into a fancier home or buying a fancier car or going out to oh. fancier dinners or whatever. You have, to, you have to check, you have to find ways of checking that impulse and, and keeping your spending low while you grow your income. Absolutely. I told you that was going to be the last question. I lied to you. I got one more. How can people <laughs> reach right. out to you? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, SparkRental.com, our website. You yeah. Know, come and you know, you'll, you'll see our investment club. You'll see some free tools like interactive maps, real estate maps. Uh, free calculators for real estate investors. You can also reach out to me personally by email, brian at sparkrental.com. Connect with us on social media. We have a Facebook group of over 46,000 real estate investors. So reach out, reach out any way that is comfortable to you. I'd love to hear from you. Nice. Love it. Brian, really appreciate it. Uh, listeners, check out Spark Rental. Um, see what they have to offer. I think what you're doing is is really, really cool. I love being able to provide this type of investment opportunities to non-accredited investors, that's something that really is always rubbed me the wrong way is that non-accredited investors have a really hard time getting into this industry. Uh, so I love what you're doing. I really appreciate it. Todd, thank you so much for having me on. This was great. Yeah, man. Have a fantastic rest of the day. You too. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. 
I'll catch you on the next episode.